Hey everybody, this is your host, Evan Brand, and thanks for tuning in this week. I appreciate you all being here as always. Uh, For the thousands of you that listen each week, I am lucky to get a couple reviews on iTunes. I know a lot of you use different applications, but if you do listen on your iPhone or your computer or use iTunes or Stitcher Radio, if you took a minute or two to go to the review tab, you'll see it in the middle when you're on the list of all my episodes. You'll see that ratings and reviews there. If you'll click on that, give me some stars and write something in there, I would appreciate that because it really does help the podcast stay up in the top of the charts. And that is how the ranking system works currently through iTunes. So I would appreciate that. Uh, today we're talking with Chris Gunners. He writes over at authoritynutrition.com and he focuses primarily on nutrition. He doesn't get too much into some of the topics I like to geek out on, but he loves writing about food. And so today we talk about 13 lies that made the world sick and fat. And some of them you may be familiar with and Some of them may be a refresher for you. But either way, I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm almost finished with my sleep guide that I wrote with my buddy Kevin over at Rim Rehab, R-E-M, rehab.com. And that will be released pretty soon. It's in the editing process right now, but it's going to be pretty badass when it's finished. Um, We got into supplementation. We got into environment, lifestyle factors, blood sugar regulation, and a lot of the things that may be overlooked when it comes to fixing your sleep. So if you're listening to this and you feel that pressure in your eyes and you're tired, I hope I can be your savior here in the next few weeks when we release this. Um, So stay tuned over at REM Rehab, R-E-M Rehab.com. Thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate you all being here. And cheers to a good year ahead of both of us. So thanks for listening. All right, well, we have Chris Gunners on the show today from a website called Authority Nutrition, an evidence-based approach website that I found just browsing the internet one day. And I knew that this guy was on to something. He had a lot of good articles. And we're going to be going through some nutrition lies. And the article that caught my attention that Chris wrote was the top 13 nutrition lies that made the world sick and fat. And it's a really important article. And a lot of people are going to really listen to this point and and really know that... uh, A lot of things have been perpetuated for many, many years, and some of those we may have covered and some we may not have mentioned, and uh, we're going to dig into all those today. So, Chris, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first line of this article even is, uh, is completely true. Nutrition is full of all kinds of nonsense, and we talk about, you know, we've talked before on my show about the corporate interests that play a role in this whole thing, whether it's the grain companies promoting these grains because they're so cheap and they have a good shelf life to, you know, the high fructose corn syrup because of the government subsidizing corn to make these products virtually free to sell, and then they're making millions of dollars. Um, So it's a real interesting thing when you realize that it's not just food, you know, these these are actual more food-based products, and it's become more of a uh, more of a business, I guess, rather than a service of providing food, would you say? 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, and you know the uh, the politics and all the uh, financial interests that are involved, they really uh, they get in the way of the science. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and how you started getting into uh, writing about nutrition and and healthy eating and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so uh, what I do, I, I'm a medical student at the University of Iceland, and I also have uh, a license as a personal trainer, even though I don't really uh, train anyone these days. But uh, I uh, became very interested in uh, health and nutrition uh, about seven years ago. And uh, at first, I did subscribe to the uh, conventional wisdom of uh, low fat and uh, all of that nonsense. But uh, I quickly realized that, you know, this wasn't based on actual research. You know, when I started looking at the studies and I started finding these uh, articles on the internet by uh, people who had different views, then I, uh, I, I realized that, you know, most of the conventional wisdom is nonsense. And uh, after I started medical school and uh, started reading the textbooks, for example, we learned a little bit about nutrition, not a lot, but uh, a little bit, and it was all based on this uh, this uh, this old science that's been around for a few decades. You know, the low fat uh, the low fat paradigm. So, uh, you know, one of the missions with my blog is to uh, try to uh, bust these myths and educate people about you know what the truth is and what the actual science shows. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the first yeah. one, the first one that you have on here is that yeah. eggs are bad for your health and I think people have kind of opened up about eggs, but there's still a little bit of wisdom stuck with people to where they think that uh egg whites are are what they need and um I've noticed that even at Starbucks and some of the the restaurants, that's that's when you know that there's still myths being perpetuated is when you look at a, a big mainstream corporation that is promoting something as an egg white sandwich and excluding the yolk, which is uh, basically the, the, the main point of the egg is the yolk. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we have to go too deep into that one. I think that's a pretty, a, a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty common one that people have caught onto on my show. But the second one is uh is probably still a big deal and it's a calorie is a calorie. And so I'll let you kind of dig into that one cuz that's a really uh it's a really good point. Yeah, sure. So uh this article uh is called Top 13 Nutrition Lies That Made the World Sick and Fat. And uh, it's basically uh just a, a review of you know some of the most common uh myths in nutrition. And uh, the second one, a calorie is a calorie, is, in my opinion, uh, not true because, uh, you know, uh, different foods, they go through these different metabolic pathways in the body. So, for example, a calorie of fructose is not the same as a calorie of glucose because, you know, depending on uh, several things, they can go through uh, slightly different pathways. And, uh, for example, protein versus a protein calorie versus a fat calorie, they won't have the same effects on your metabolism. And uh, some of these uh, calories uh, change the function of the hormones in the body. So carbs stimulate insulin while fat does not. And uh, saying that 
you know, these calories are identical and that the only thing that matters uh, when it comes to your weight is calories in or calories out is, in my opinion, wrong because, you know, it's, it's too much uh, of a simplification. I mean, it's true that calories matter, but saying that they're identical or the only thing that matters is completely wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I, I want to go on a, a little tangent here of, of stuff that I've been looking into. Um, yeah. A lot of people are suffering from depression and anxiety. And so I started looking into what actually happens when you're consuming carbohydrates. And you mentioned releasing insulin. Yeah. And so, you know, our bodies are supposed to have about a tablespoon, a teaspoon or a tablespoon of sugar floating around our body at any time. And when we add to that mixture, whether we're adding, you know, a a 100% juice, you know, some juicy juice or whatever it is, or whether we're adding some bread or something like that, that all has to be converted to sugar, basically. Yeah, to glucose. Yeah, and so it is sugar, literally, basically. You could say bread equals sugar pretty much, right? Uh, I don't quite agree with that because, uh, you know, when people think about the word sugar, they're usually thinking about sucrose, which is a combination of fructose and glucose. So uh, fructose doesn't have the same metabolic effects as glucose. They're similar in many ways, but uh, but uh, they're not quite the same. So I prefer to use uh, glucose when talking about, you know, the, uh, you know, instead of uh, saying that all carbs turn into sugar because I think the terminology can be confusing to people because uh, I don't think uh, glucose or starch has the same metabolic effects as table sugar or high fructose corn syrup. Right, right. So you, but, think, uh, you think glucose would be, I guess you could say better than uh, something like fructose? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I also think it depends on you know, the person that's consuming it, somebody who is uh, healthy and active and exercises uh, many times per week can eat a lot more uh, carbohydrates or glucose than someone who is insulin resistant and maybe diabetic or something like that. So, so I don't think starch is inherently harmful. It depends on the individual. For example, someone who's obese or diabetic or has metabolic syndrome, then uh, it could be uh, we we could easily make a case that they should be eating as little starch as possible, but I don't think the same applies to someone who is healthy. Yeah, I tell you, I I was feeling really sick for a short time just by going too low carbohydrate myself. You know, I was yeah doing a physical job. I was hiking hiking throughout the woods. You know, I was eating plenty of protein and fat. But I was trying to basically just keep the carbs to a minimum, just tons of, you know, handfuls of of greens, just shoving those down every day. And uh, I started to experience, you know, just an overall brain fog and fatigue. My muscles were sore for a lot longer than they should have been. And so I just simply added uh, about a half a cup or maybe less of white rice per day back in there, maybe three, maybe three days a week. And that's all it took for me to feel almost a hundred percent better. So I think that's yeah. a pretty good 
personal story to mention to people just because everybody in the kind of the paleo alternative health community now we're we're trying to go extreme low carb and I do think there's definitely some some physical and mental effects that that will have on you not to say that it's uh, bad to stay low carb uh, but I think for extended amounts of time especially if you're very physical that you should probably add some more back in what do you think about that yeah, well, I think it just really depends on the individual. I'm a big fan of low-carb diets, and I've uh, been studying them for years. And uh, there are many, many, many studies showing that these diets are incredibly beneficial for certain groups of people, but they definitely don't work for everyone. And there are a lot of uh, you know reports of people who have these side effects, brain fog and fatigue. And uh, you know, it, it just depends on the individual, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It, it is hard. It really is hard to give a general advice to say, well, this is your diet. This is what everyone listening should be eating, you know, because uh, people are so different and their physical outputs are different. Their metabolism is different, uh, you know, hormone function, all that. But um, yeah, but I do know that saturated fat is something that should be in everyone's diet. And I think we should dig into that one a little bit because sure. a lot of people know and they hear it all the time, but I feel like it's one of those things that people may hear, but they still don't do it. They hear, oh, fat's good for you, saturated fat's good for you, but maybe they're only throwing in a little bit of butter into the skillet or a little bit of coconut oil into the skillet to cook their meals and that's it. Uh, but I think that you will benefit from putting more than that into your diet. Yeah, well, or, you know, just choose foods that are naturally high in saturated fat, like uh, like fatty cuts of meat and uh, high-fat dairy products. But uh, you're absolutely right that uh, people, even though they, you know, they like the uh, the idea of paleo and low-carb, they're, they're still afraid of eating fat. So that's something that can be hard to get rid of for some people. Yeah, you have here uh, a couple studies that you link to. Yeah, that basically the combination of these studies looked at about 350,000 people and there was absolutely no association between saturated fat consumption and the risk of heart disease. And yeah, so basically you make the point that the war on fat is just an unproven theory that somehow became common knowledge. I mean, the guy down the street who's never listened to this show, uh, you ask him what he thinks about saturated fat, he's probably going to say it makes you fat. So I guess... Do you yeah, want, or, or do kills you, you. Yeah, definitely. So do you want to explain people what actually, why your body is actually pulling from that and, and using that as such a good fuel source? Yeah. Um, so uh, it is kind of true that if you eat saturated fat, it can raise cholesterol in the blood. But if you really... Uh, go into more detail and look at the types of cholesterol uh, that are changing, you see that it raises the uh, the HDL or the good cholesterol, the one that carries uh, uh, cholesterol from your uh, body into the liver. Uh, and uh, it also changes the, uh, the LDL, which is commonly known as the bad cholesterol, but it's actually not... Uh, doesn't have to be bad. It changes the, uh, the subtype of the LDL from these small dense particles to the large, uh, to the larger particles. And, uh, when you look at the studies, people that have 
a lot of these small LDL particles, they are at a, an increased risk of heart disease. You know, but if you look at people that have mostly large LDL cholesterol, they have a low risk of heart disease. And it turns out that saturated fat changes the uh, the pattern of the LDL cholesterol from small to large. So uh, based on that, it should not definitely not raise your risk of heart disease. It might even uh, decrease it. Yeah, you want those large LDL particles. So I know I don't know the yeah. name of a test, but I know there's tests out there that you can get your uh, your LDL particle size actually tested as well as your you know your HDL also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are more these are more advanced uh, tests and uh, maybe more expensive, and uh, you can't get them everywhere. But uh, if you can get a test like that, then you can uh, much more accurately predict your your risk. Yeah, the uh, the thought that I was was mentioning uh, earlier about the the bread and the the excess carbohydrates was uh, you know people with anxiety. Uh, yeah. The important thing to remember is that if you are eating something such as a you know a higher carbohydrate diet and your body is constantly having to produce insulin to get rid of that sugar to get that sugar out of your bloodstream so that you don't die literally. Um, that can cause a stress response, you know, that, that fight or flight response to basically tackle this sugar problem that it has on its hand. So if you're constantly, or even if you see people around you at work or in your personal life, you see people that are, uh, you know, they're basically feeling like they're going to die every two to three hours because of their blood sugar getting so low. Um, yeah. You know, that's a sign to look out for, and that's a sign to feel within yourself. You know, three hours, four hours, you should still be okay. You shouldn't be anxious and maybe irritable, nervous. You shouldn't have these feelings. Um, that would be a point where I would tell you to just add in some more, you know, another palm-sized portion of, of good quality meat or something like that into your diet to make sure that you don't have those feelings because a lot. I think a lot of our mood problems – as a society, are are definitely caused from diet, and they're definitely caused from a you know the lack of amino acids that people are are not getting from their their good quality meats, and then b uh, just the crazy blood sugar roller coaster that everyone's on all day of just chasing this sugar high and this carbohydrate uh, you know basically this carb cycle eat your carbs and coffee and then wait a few hours and eat some more carbs and coffee and candy and stuff like that. And your body's just going to be bathing in that insulin until your body just says, Hey, we can't handle this anymore. And then there you are type two diabetes. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I'm glad that we figured this whole thing out. It's kind of a sigh of relief to know that we can pinpoint what type of actions really create something like that. Yeah, you know, diet and mental health is definitely an interesting field. But uh, I have to admit, it's not something that I've looked into in detail. So I really don't, uh, I don't have any good insights on that at yeah. this point. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, let's go to eating a lot of protein is ba yeah. is bad for your health. That's a that's a, a pretty big topic. Um you know, sometimes you hear that a uh, a moderate protein diet should be good. I haven't heard too many people mention a low protein diet. I think that uh, kind of in the bodybuilding community, even protein is seen more important as uh, more important than fat. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, can you talk about some of the benefits of the research you found about uh, basically a higher protein diet? Yeah, there, there are these myths that uh, that protein can, if you eat a lot of protein, that it can have harmful effects, uh, primarily on bone health and uh, kidney health. Um, you know, there are some studies showing that if you increase your protein intake, that uh, it uh, increases uh, calcium excretion from the bones. And uh, because based on these short-term study, studies, people have uh, concluded that uh, eating protein a high-protein diet can increase your risk of osteoporosis. But uh, if you look at the long-term studies, you see that this is actually the exact opposite. You know, the more protein you eat, the uh, the better your bone health is going to be and the lower your risk of, uh, you know, breaking your bones when you're old. And uh, there's also the, uh, the myth that protein is bad for the kidneys, that if you eat a lot of protein, that it can cause kidney failure, but uh, this is based on the fact that people with established kidney disease, they get better results if they cut back on protein. You know, there are, you know, various reasons for this, but this does not apply to healthy individuals because uh, the studies show that, you know, healthy people can eat as much protein as they want. You know, it, it's good for people with kidney disease to restrict protein or at least eat a moderate amount, but... The same doesn't apply to healthy people. And they've even studied bodybuilders that eat massive amounts of protein. And they found no uh, negative effects on their kidneys. And uh, in fact, protein actually reduces two of the main risk factors for kidney disease, which are diabetes and high blood pressure. So if anything, eating more protein might, you know, in the long term, reduce your risk of kidney disease. Yeah, uh, one of our podcast guests, Norgid Gouda, she talked about this pathway called mTOR. It's M capital T O R C one. It's basically this pathway that they found in the body that basically controls protein synthesis. So if people want to go on Wikipedia, you can look on there, or you can just start looking into PubMed and just type M T O. RC1 and you can read about this whole pathway and it just basically explains the importance of proteins and talks about how um, you know insulin and oxidative stress and all of these functions are kind of controlled with this switch in our body here them they also help with nutrient availability uh, getting your oxygen so that's a pretty uh that's a really good point actually yeah, the the, uh, the next one here is the whole healthy heart, uh, healthy whole wheat, and it's funny you put heart healthy in quotations because that's uh, that's people almost say heart healthy whole wheat before they even say whole wheat. It's like it's been included yeah. into that term or something. Mm-hmm. And so I've noticed a huge difference in my digestion. Uh, you know, when I first started changing my diet and and researching like you uh you know I was working out at the gym putting on a bunch of weight I was feeling great but I still had uh kind of an irritable bowel I mean some days food would just go right through me and then some days I'd be fine and uh it was one of the more frustrating things to figure out I couldn't figure out if it was stress if it was diet uh and so finally I pulled the uh I pulled the pasta out and switched to uh you know, at the time, switched to like a brown rice pasta, 
and just that simple removal of gluten, my diet besides that was was good. And that simple switch was all it took for me to help my depression, help my stomach. I mean, it's really amazing uh, how many people could feel better by getting this stuff out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, there's this, uh, you know, you know, com- you know, the most serious uh, sign of uh, gluten intolerance is uh, uh, most serious uh, type is, you know, celiac disease, which only afflicts about 1% of the population. But uh, there are studies showing that there are other people that have called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which may be much more common. And uh, this can lead to uh, various problems, uh, including uh, harmful effects on the brain yeah definitely uh it you know they're they're linking gluten now to schizophrenia and a lot of brain degenerative diseases uh, which i haven't covered too much Um, some people may hear avoid gluten avoid gluten and maybe we haven't ever gone deep enough into that but um you know yeah i mean it's a controversial topic and uh Many people say that the evidence is not strong enough to recommend that people avoid gluten. But, uh, you know, and, and it's true that there's no, like, really large, tightly controlled study that proves without a doubt that gluten causes harm or even that, you know, a large percentage of people should avoid it. But in my opinion, if you look at the evidence as a whole, it is convincing enough at least to uh, that it would be a good idea to avoid gluten until these studies are done. You know, it's better to be safe than sorry, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think you really need to get a test on gluten. I guess if you're, you know, severely uh, needing help with your health, you could. But in my opinion, just pulling gluten out from all sources is enough test to really feel the difference. I mean, it doesn't take long for things to clear up. I mean, my skin cleared up. Uh, my digestive problems went away. Occasionally, if I if I go somewhere and there, I eat some some unknown source, you know, my IBS will kind of kick back in and uh, and send me to the bathroom for a little bit. But it's very rare compared to it used to be. Just something that I thought may have been part of life. You know, I thought, oh, that's just what's happened. That just what's what's happening, and that's not normal. So, oh. so if you are questioning about gluten i would say if you can be 99.99 or 100 percent gluten free that that would be a good idea it's just a, a a little disclaimer that if you're removing that don't throw in the gluten-free cookies right after because then you're just adding sugar to the mix you know and then yeah you're kind of defeating the point there yeah gluten-free junk food is it's still junk food yeah definitely but uh yeah, if people want to know if they're sensitive to gluten without getting a test, they can, you know, they can do a gluten challenge. They can try removing gluten for thirty or sixty days, like completely, like not not a single bite of uh, food that has gluten in it, and then after this period of time, try reintroducing gluten back in their diet. And if they experience any adverse effects, then chances are that they are gluten sensitive. Yeah, and uh, the funny thing now is that everything's getting a label with gluten. I don't know if I was dreaming, but I may have saw a water bottle or something that said gluten-free on it. So uh, yeah. it's important to remember that you know gluten is a wheat protein. So rice, 
never contained gluten. It never does contain gluten. So, I mean, it's it's good to know that maybe it, it wasn't manufactured with something, uh, some machinery that used uh, or had gluten on it from other, you know, other food products. But, you know, rice is something that's obviously naturally gr- gluten-free. So, yeah, uh, uh, just, you know, for those of you that, that wanted to know that. Coffee. Yeah, not, not all... Not all grains contain gluten, so it's important uh, for people to know that. Yeah. You know, so when we're talking about uh, gluten, then we're not necessarily saying that this means that all grains are bad because some grains are not bad, in my opinion, for the people who can tolerate them, like yeah. oats and rice, for example. Yeah, rice is rice has been one of those ones that's okay for me, and it's it's yeah. helped, it's helped me. Uh, it's helped me in the gym for sure. I've noticed a big difference in strength and endurance just by adding a little bit of rice in each day. Yeah, I mean, it's really good for people, especially those who are physically active. But, uh, yeah. Well, we have a lot of uh, bulletproof coffee drinkers that listen to the show, so uh, I think this next point may. Uh, make them even more happy um the myth that coffee is bad for you you know there's stuff that pops out on the news i don't watch the mainstream news too much but there's stuff that'll pop out on the news where everybody freaks out and quits buying coffee and then all of a sudden a new doctor comes out and says oh it's healthy everybody drink it again and so uh i don't know if there's a secret handshakes that are controlling the coffee market that are also putting out these articles or what it is. But um, I think we should uh, settle the score on this one. Yeah, well, so the sixth point is uh, uh, about this myth that coffee is bad for your health. So uh, I don't know about the bulletproof coffee. I'm not aware of any studies on that. But the studies that I uh, am looking at in this article are on just regular coffee. And... uh, while it is true that coffee can elevate blood pressure in the short term, this really isn't a huge effect. It's only uh, like a few points, and uh, it's not it's not clinically significant in most cases. And uh, coffee actually is the biggest source of antioxidants in the Western diet. It outranks both fruits and vegetables combined. So there's a lot more to coffee than just mild uh, elevations in blood pressure. And uh, the studies show that coffee drinkers have a much lower risk of many diseases, including diabetes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and liver diseases, and various others. Yeah, I would say I think that some people out there that drink coffee, whether it's every day or every other day, you know, I drink maybe maybe two cups a week. I've actually been just, I'm doing a little caffeine elimination here for the next couple weeks. Um, Yeah. But I do think that some people may be covering up or hiding signs of adrenal fatigue or, you know, they they used to call it, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome. And now we're kind of calling it adrenal fatigue instead. But um, I've definitely been helping out some people lately that were basically hiding their adrenal burnout with the use of coffee. And so I think it's really good, and I know coffee's kind of exploded for people, and there may be people that never even thought of drinking coffee in their life before that are drinking it now. But I do think it's important to figure out if you are stressed. Now, whether that's getting a uh, you know a saliva test, the ASI, the Adrenal Stress Index test, whether you're going to do something like that, or just feel yourself and see how you feel. And if you feel like you have a short fuse 
and that you're flying off the handle and you know the guy cuts you off on the road and you freak out and and flick him off and cuss him out because of something that insignificant that may be that you are close to feeling burnt out and it's easy to just you know shove another coffee down it and and cover that up with caffeine because it certainly does that Um, but I I just think that's an an important point to make because I do think here in the next few years a lot more people are going to be coming to me with adrenal problems that they had no idea they were suffering from just because this whole uh, butter and, and coconut oil and coffee and MCT and all this thing has exploded so big that nobody's stopping to make the point about that nobody's stopping to make the point about hey uh we're going to be burning all of ourselves out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, also, you know, coffee does have a ton of antioxidants in it. And probably, you know, for people that are eating, if you're not eating a, uh, you know, a clean pasture animal-based diet, uh, that could be some of the largest antioxidants that you're going to get is your coffee. So I do think it's uh a good thing to have. I just think it's important to kind of make that distinction whether you're really burnt out or not because uh, it will yeah. it will keep you going. Yeah, you know, this regarding the antioxidants, you know, compared to the average person, you know, for the average person who drinks coffee and eats a Western diet, then coffee is the biggest source of antioxidants in the diet. But, you know, that's probably just because people eat really, eat, don't eat much of antioxidant-rich foods. So, you know, for someone who eats a, a real food-based diet, that, you know, coffee, the antioxidants in coffee may not be as important. Yeah, I mean, the um, the difference in my, you know, my personal digestion that I've noticed just from, you know, steaming and, and eating uh, leafy greens or, you know, adding them to, adding them to your meals, just a simple addition of you know whether it's uh, spinach or kale broccoli um, collard greens uh, arugula you know whatever it is just a simple addition of that if you don't you know if you're kind of anti-greens it will make a difference and it makes a difference quick too I mean uh, I know I know we we've talked in my show about being a carnivore this time of the year you know the winter time when we're talking um, but if you can get some greens, it still may help your digestion. You know, I think that a lot of people may not be uh, tolerating kind of that carnivore-style eating this time of the year. Um, you know, we talk about trying to eat with the seasons and stuff like that. But I do think there is benefit to still getting your your, your leafy greens in there. We're just facing so many needs for these vitamins and antioxidants now that uh, yeah. you're not going to hurt yourself with them. Yeah, in my opinion, it's it's not a good idea to go zero carb uh, because, you know, for the same reason that it's not a good idea to go, you know, zero animal products like the vegans because we evolved eating, you know, both animals and plants. Yeah, definitely. We can, we can function, we can survive without either of them, but, you know, in my opinion, to, you know, for optimal health, we need to eat both. Yep, definitely. The next point here is about meat, and this is probably referring to uh, mostly red meat, and 
I think a lot of people have caught on to uh, to grass-fed beef. I used to eat chicken. I, I, I didn't purposely avoid red meat, but I used to just eat a ton of chicken just because it was a lot cheaper than, you know, a good quality grass-fed steak. But now I've almost 100% eliminated chicken from the diet just because so many things are popping out about all these bacterial infections and stuff like that. And I just... I don't really think chicken has that many benefits compared to something like bison or, uh, you know, venison or, or beef. So yeah, uh, yeah, you go, you can go into that one a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, there's this, uh, idea that red meat, uh, causes harm, you know, lamb, uh, pork and, uh, and beef, for example. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are blaming meat, red meat for diseases like, um, heart disease, diabetes, and uh, certain forms of cancer. But the truth is that many of these diseases are, are relatively new. They didn't start uh, occurring, you know, in these numbers until maybe a hundred years ago when the uh, when heart disease became a problem. So it doesn't make sense to blame uh, the old foods for the new health problems, which is exactly what what is going on with uh, foods like meat and. Uh, I've looked at the science, and even though it's true that uh, if you look at processed meat, you see that people who eat the most processed meat have, you know, sausages and that kind of stuff. They have an increased risk of um, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. But if you're looking at unprocessed red meat, you don't see the same effect. For example, one study, uh, I think it was from Harvard, it included over a million individuals, and uh, it found no link between red meat consumption and heart disease or diabetes. So, you know, people really need to make the distinction between processed, you know, low quality meat and unprocessed red meat. And even, you know, the the studies are not finding that unprocessed red meat causes these diseases, but they're they're looking at grain-fed meat, you know, if they were looking at grass-fed grass-fed quality meats then you know, maybe the studies would show that it actually reduces your risk. We don't know. We don't know that yet. But you know, it, it's pretty clear from from looking at the uh, the science that the uh, the dangers of red meat are you know completely overblown. Yeah, you make a really good point there. I mean, we look at all the. We always talk about studies, and you know that's what the news likes to grab hold of. If they could find one study that proves their point a certain way, I mean, you could find a study that'll prove anything, really. But yeah. um, it's really funny because they'll put these weird parameters on the study, like, oh, this is considered a high-carb diet, and this does this, or this is a low-carb diet. But it doesn't disclose the information about what is included in that. You know, you could have a low-carb diet that's horrible. You could have yeah. a, a horrible low carb diet that's, you know, I don't know, uh, nothing but vegetables and, uh, you know, uh, uh, something more closer to a, you know, a, soy soybean oil. Yeah, yeah, definitely a, a soy soy and uh, just all of these highly estrogenic and and really crappy foods, and you could prove that a low carb diet is bad. But, yeah, this is what you see in in many of the uh, rodent studies. They're feeding the rats like terrible diets with, you know, the little carbs they eat are maybe, you know, just sugar and most of the fat is soybean oil. So you can have a low-carb, high-fat diet that's really harmful. 
But if you're basing it on real foods, then that's a completely different story. Yeah, for people that want to check out uh, an article I wrote, uh, I guess this past week, it was uh, talking about how a paleo diet can help with depression and anxiety. And uh, I actually referred to one of those studies where it was talking about feeding rats uh, soybean oil yeah, uh, and versus giving them fish oil. And they said it was too hard to, in, in so many words, of course they make it all scientific sounding, but in so many words they said that it was too hard to um, determine whether the, the soybean oil-fed rats were depressed, but they definitely noticed a huge rise in anxiety in these uh, rats. I mean, I could attest to it too. I'm sure that I was getting some form of soybean oil back in my uh, more conventional food days, and I had more trouble with anxiety and just a kind of a general feeling that kind of overwhelms you a little bit. And uh, you know, you could say that that was due to you know the 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 steady influx of you know crappy carbs into my diet, you know, causing that response. Or you could say it was you know maybe some soybean oil sneaking in there. So. I do. Yeah. Th- I do think that's something to, you know, to take take the importance of it. You know, those oils they do matter. That's the biggest source of, uh, I think, hidden problems that we find when we're going out to eat places. You know, it does. You know, not everybody wants to cook a million times a day or, or three times a day, even. You know, making these good meals. I just try to, you know, make a crock pot as much as I can. But sometimes I will go out somewhere, and that's the hardest thing to find. Is you could find a pretty good source or a pretty good quality meat out there, but chances are you're going to be getting a, a straight omega six, you know, rancid oil on top of that. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there are many studies showing that you know the uh, omega six rich oils. Uh, correlate with worse uh, with harmful effects on you know brain and you know mental health depression and uh, homicide, uh, homicide violence that kind of stuff yeah I've uh, that's why I've recommended you know I've recommended krill oil to people or, or some sort of uh, a cod liver oil just to try to balance those out I think everybody hears the recommendation take fish oil or take krill oils but they they don't kind of know exactly why they just know omega-3s are good for you and yes they are but the important thing is to try to balance out this ratio you know if we've been eating a lifetime of omega-6 fats in the form of you know corn-fed meats or are uh hydrogenated and and and, uh you know rancid oils our omega-6 are sky high and yeah you know, ancestrally, we would have been closer to much, much closer to a kind of a one to one ratio of these omega six and omega three. So uh, that was I talked about that in that article I mentioned too. Just why adding omega threes, you know, and you are getting a ton of omega threes from grass fed beef. Yeah, yeah, but it's still hard to get a, a good ratio just from eating foods. So supplementing, you know, is a good idea for most people, in my opinion. I, I supplement with both cod liver oil and an omega-3 supplement yeah what is uh what is your your supplement regimen i guess your diet's probably pretty good right yeah yeah that's pretty well dialed in and uh, uh the supplements i take um i take uh vitamin d and then i take uh k2 um cod liver oil and uh, an omega-3 supplement then i uh, also take uh, creatine monohydrate and so i have a 
a probiotic in, in my refrigerator that I, you know, I pop a, a capsule every now and then. So, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a targeted supplementation of you know the nutrients that I think I'm not getting enough of from my diet. Yeah, I would say that's very smart with the uh, the vitamin D and K2 living up in Iceland. I guess you all don't, yeah. you you don't get that high angle of sunshine very often. No, maybe maybe a few days in the year we get like really good sun, but you know, especially during the winter months, we get zero usable, you know, ultraviolet rays, you know, uh from the sky, so we need to uh, supplement. Yeah, our tanning our tanning beds uh, a popular thing there in Iceland. Yeah, well, they used to be more popular, but uh, we have a few of these salons. I, I use them every now and then. Yeah, I was going to say, because I've seen some benefit as long as people aren't using the um, the magnetic ballast, those tanning beds that are super loud when you get in there. You want to avoid those. You know, I've been kind of looking into some of the benefits of the, uh, you know, the higher quality uh, bulbs and ballasts that are helping people with depression and anxiety just through these winter times. Um, yeah. you know, maybe even three to five minutes a day. Um, Dr. Mercola, he talks about it on his website. If people want to look into that, he's kind of breaks down the, the tanning bed myths out there, but also, you know, since most people listening to this are eating this, this diet that we, that, that we love this, you know, food based, uh, you know, pasture raised animals, you're going to benefit a lot better than somebody with a horrible diet because when you have those high levels of omega-6 in your body and you combine that with the tanning beds, it's kind of a compounding effect. So hopefully that will ease your fears a little bit if you have a better diet and you're thinking of using those for a couple minutes to get the benefits. I mean, they do feel good when you get out of them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The next point that you had on here breaks down all the – breaks down all the studies talking about uh, cancer and, and cardiovascular disease, talking about, you know, the low-fat, high-carb diet. So I think we've, we've probably squashed that one pretty good. The refined seed and vegetable oils, uh, we could go a little bit into those because, like I said, they are still kind of snuck into foods that you wouldn't expect, these soybean and corn oils. Yeah. Yeah, they're cheap and... uh you know, most people who eat a lot of processed foods are getting a ton of these oils without having a clue about it. So, uh, but, you know, there's this myth that, you know, these refined seed and vegetable oils are good for you. These are uh, oils like soybean oil, sunflower oil, and corn oil. And, uh, you know, even in the nutrition recommendations, we're told that we should be eating these oils. And this is based on the fact that uh, taking you know, eating these oils can lower uh, cholesterol levels. But, uh, you know, there's no direct link between cholesterol levels and heart disease. So even if something lowers your cholesterol, there's no guarantee that it will lower your uh, heart disease risk because it's a risk factor, not necessarily a cause of heart disease. And the studies show that uh, if we eat these oils, and they're not just looking at cholesterol, they're looking at actual heart disease, they see that the risk goes up. So in this case, the advice that you know the American Heart Association and all those authorities are giving to us is actually leading to the opposite effect and killing people, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Man, I just happened to uh to click on your your home page and I saw 
probably one of the uh, the best ideas for an article I've seen, which is uh, how to win an argument with a nutritionist. Yeah, I, I want to go into that for a minute, if uh, if we sure. can, because I think that that's a really really that's a really beneficial article. I think for people that uh, they can share because you know people have questioned me. You know, not being a uh, a registered dietitian or something like that, but um, and I'm sure you probably make the point in here that the recommendations and the kind of the the foods that these registered people are taught, generally speaking, are still the really really outdated and and uh, low quality information when it comes to food. So to think that because you have that certification or uh, you know those letters next to your name, and when it comes to food, may not really mean much. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are a lot of really great nutritionists and dietitians out there, but uh, in my opinion, the majority is preaching outdated, potentially harmful advice based on you know the uh, the uh, low fat myth. Go through some of the things that the nutritionist says to people. In, yeah. in in these cases here where uh, kind of their prescriptions, I guess you would call it. Well, for example, the biggest one is, uh, you know, the best diet is a low-fat diet with carbs at 50 to 60% of calories. If we look at, if you look at the, uh, the official guidelines, then we'll see recommendations like these. But the fact is that uh, this diet has been put to the test in the biggest study, uh, nutrition study in history called the Women's Health Initiative that went on for seven and a half years and included over 40,000 women. It was, you know, it was a randomized controlled trial, not an observational study or anything like that. It's, you know, uh, the best, you know, the best kind of study you can get. And this study shows that, you know, there was no difference in weight or heart disease or cancer after all of these years. So this uh, general advice to eat a low-fat, high-carb diet is, it's not just that it's not proven to work, it's proven not to work. Yeah. So, you know, in this article, there are many other myths. Uh, actually, many of them are the same myths uh, that were in the uh, 13 Nutrition Lies article. I just put them up in a, in a different way. Yeah, the, uh, the one that I do like, though, is about sugar and how they may say that sugar is is bad for you because it's empty calories but instead you link up to everything here that's talking about the much more serious effects of sugar as opposed to just oh it's empty calories don't eat it yeah yeah absolutely uh when people are eating uh, a high carb diet and they're also eating a lot of sugar it can cause problems that go way beyond you know the calories Mm-hmm. For example, there are studies showing that um, like control trials where people are literally fed, uh, where they're eating either uh, glucose or fructose, you know, fr- fructose you know, coming from sugar while glucose would be uh, coming from starch, that the, fruct- the people getting the fructose have you know, uh, harmful effects on uh, cholesterol, uh, triglycerides, insulin resistant, and they get this fat buildup in the abdominal cavity. And this happens within a few weeks of eating a lot of uh, sugar. So, you know, this this is a problem that goes way beyond the calories. Yeah. 
what do you think is the the biggest problem when you're you know when you when you sit down on the computer and you think to go write something up what do you think the biggest problem is that that you're still trying to to solve well uh in my opinion the biggest problem with the global diet is simply that people are eating processed foods you know you can point out the sugar or the wheat or you know the vegetable oils but the fact is that most people are getting these uh, ingredients from the processed foods they're eating. So maybe that, that is the main problem. I definitely agree. You know, we talk about don't eat anything from a box, but, you know, sometimes you could find something from, I guess, a box or a bag that may be good for you. But generally speaking, that's probably good advice. Uh, I mean... Yeah, yeah. I, I wish it were it were that easy to, uh, to get a hold of some of these... Uh, these boxed meal people and try to just get them to switch a couple ingredients. I mean, they could make some of those frozen meals much better if they would just change some of the ingredients. But all of those are usually some form of corn syrup, some form of, you know, modified wheat and then uh, a soybean or canola oil in there. But I do think that a, a healthy boxed meal could be possible. I mean, as long as it's not a microwavable meal, as long as it's something you could pop out and put in the oven or something, I do think there's opportunity in the future to maybe keep it in that, in that container. I mean, the ingredients generally speaking that come along with those, those boxes are just pretty much junk. Yeah, I agree. You know, fast food, it doesn't have to be unhealthy. You know, there's one restaurant in my city that, it serves like really healthy food that you can just you can call and order and it's just like a takeaway meal but it's really healthy it's really healthy it's a little more expensive maybe than you know McDonald's but uh you know it's definitely possible you know to make healthy fast food yeah and i think that's important to know for home too because you could get discouraged about maybe the cooking that you have to do all the time but i mean all it takes for me is to uh you know, just thinly, thinly slice, you know, a, uh, like a strip steak or some type of, uh, you know, like a grass fed ribeye. I'll either, you know, slice it up or just keep it whole and you throw it on the skillet and throw a bunch of butter in there and maybe some, uh, turmeric or, you know, some type of spice, throw it on there and just cook it for not many minutes, not many minutes. And then, you know, right now I'm, I'm not really doing fruit. I'm kind of taking out fruit and taking out caffeine at the same time but uh it's easy to find something on the side with that you know some almond butter or just some regular almonds macadamias it's possible to make a good meal quick i think that we've we've just been sold on the idea of convenience you know yeah yeah it's also it can be hard to change your habits if you're used to eating fast foods you know cereal and buying a you know i don't know a subway for lunch or something you know, it can be hard to change, you know, your habit into starting to cook all the time. And uh, if we had more, you know, restaurants and that served healthy food, then it would make healthy eating a lot easier. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, in a few years or maybe decades, it will be easier. Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is this is coming out at an exponential rate now. So I do, I do see... Yeah. I do see a positive future for the whole food industry. It's just a matter of uh, these corporation guys. They're probably scared now since people like you and I are talking and uh, 
and making a, a, a big dent in the in the online community, this message is going to get out to people, and they're going to try it for themselves and notice how good they feel and how good they look and how much better their mood is and their sex drive and everything. I, I, I did. I do yeah. think it's funny that uh, I was reading something about graham crackers and how those used to be used to kind of control men's libido. I don't remember where I found that, but uh, it was almost like a uh, you know, kind of like a boner killer for people yeah. to eat graham crackers. Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard of that. It's pretty funny, but uh um, yeah. but now we're catching on, we're figuring this thing out. So, um we don't have too much time left, but if you have anything that uh and we'll get the links and everything for your website here in a minute, but if you have anything else that's on your mind that uh that you want people to know or uh, you know, some kind of positive uh outlook for them, uh please tell us. Yeah, um you know, in my opinion, it's just it's most important to eat, you know, uh, to avoid the processed foods. I think that would be uh, the biggest factor for most people. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, low-carb diets and I've written uh, many articles about them. But I think it's important for people to realize that it's not for everyone. And, you know, the optimal diet for any one individual depends on many things, including metabolic health and you know, preference, what, what they like to eat. So, you know, it's really, you know, anyone who gives, you know, blanket advice that's supposed to apply to everyone is going to be wrong because it it varies between individuals what works and what doesn't. So I think uh, it's just important for people to uh, do some self-experimentation and try different things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It takes time. Yeah, yeah, it takes time to find something that works. Yeah, but I mean, you will. It's worth. You yeah, it is worth it for sure. You'll become more aware of your senses. I mean, I, you know, I've I've mentioned testing individual foods. You know, testing a blueberry versus a raspberry or something, just seeing how it makes you feel. And it sounds crazy that you could notice a difference from that. But if you're sensitive enough, and you will become sensitive enough to stuff you'll be able to kind of pick up and tune in to what foods are, are really kind of grooving with you and what foods are not. So yeah, I, I do like that advice. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, it, it's fun to, to do these self experiments, you know, when you're turning health and nutrition into a hobby and you're doing these experiments on yourself, then yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's fun. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, Chris, give people your website and uh, and information about how they can keep up with you because you have a, a really good-looking website here and a lot of really, really helpful articles for people that are still figuring out this whole food picture. Yeah, thanks. Uh, my website is authoritynutrition.com. You know, you can also find it on Google by Googling Authority Nutrition, and I also have, uh, you know, Facebook and a Twitter and all of that stuff where I uh, – where I uh, link to new articles. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, it's good talking with you. I'm glad that we're both sm- uh, spreading the message of, uh, of quality food across the world. So uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, sit down and talk with me. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool Kiss her girl the night and then he leaves her She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible rules 
Why I'm in a tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't wanna see a fire eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let me be the one that loves you better.